the memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 7, Bachelor Party from 1984. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and with us today is someone who is going to have his own bachelor party in the next month or two, and I can tell you already, Mr. Guest, that we have not named, it will not be like this. Um, though I think that is for the best, because I don't think, would you, before we introduce you, would you want a bachelor party like this? Well, obviously that's something that was on my mind uh, for a lot of this movie. Sure. Absolutely not. Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> but I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, what was what was considered appropriate, I guess isn't the word, but what was what was expected of a bachelor party at the time. You know, things have changed. I, I think things have changed can apply to a lot of things in this movie that I'm sure will. That should be the subtitle. Bachelor Party colon, things have changed. <laughs> Second colon, do not watch this movie in 2019 because it will make you feel a little bit icky. With us today, you may know him from our other Tom Tom Club, um, the, the Cruise Club episode of Losing It, which has some comparisons, I believe, to this movie. Can we put can we put the, uh, the Losing It clip in there? We can drop it. I mean, Mike's editing this one. It's all about you, Mike. If you want to drop that little losing it sting in there, by all means. Uh, but again, sort of has has some you know comparison, some some similarities to losing it. Uh, we have Mr. Christian Larson. Hello, Larson. Hi. It's good to be back as always. Well, thank you for being here for another sex-filled romp through. What what city are we in? Chicago. It, it doesn't really specify what city it's in. It's it's one of those generic. You know, it's a city that's. Uh, that's got a Catholic school and a big hotel. That's all you really need to know. And hookers on the streets. So this movie, I had never seen this before. I'm assuming you both have. Is that correct? I've seen it, yeah, yeah, multiple times. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen bits and pieces of it on cable uh, growing up. It was not something I was allowed to watch as a kid for, for many obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was my first time sitting down and watching it all the way through. I, I, I did know that a donkey was involved somehow. Which also from losing it, there was a donkey show in that movie. Yeah. Oof. So Larson, what did you th- what did you think of Bachelor Party? Well, it's actually one of my fian- my fiance loves this movie. Really? I was watching it, and you know, all I could think about was you know all the ways in which it's horrible and inappropriate and problematic, and I was like, I wish I could go back to a time when I didn't consume every last bit of pop culture through this lens you know uh, it's good that i do i guess i asked my fiance i was like well don't you find it you know isn't it just awful and she's like it's a lot of fun and i was like but you're no it's terrible you know every pop culture website is just it's a cottage industry telling people why they can't enjoy things and i didn't want to to look at it through that lens but it was almost impossible because there is just so much in it that you know it's of its time i guess it's a it's a sex comedy of the early 80s i think there's two reasons why it doesn't quite hold up number one because a lot of the things in here are problematic like when who i'm going to call the uh kyle mooney character the ticket salesman when he clearly goes off to a bedroom with a a man in drag i'm like okay so this movie's about to get transphobic but like how transphobic are we gonna get and like i was hoping hoping against hope that like it would be sort of like this progressive movie where like he falls in love and like genuinely finds like love there and he sort of does and then finds out that the the person he was with 
as a man and, you know, we see him scrubbing his junk in the shower. I'm like, oh, okay, that's where we are. So it's that, but it's also what I was realizing is that, like, whether this did these things first or just early, like, all so many of the tropes in this movie have been recycled in so many things since this time that I feel like it's hard to watch a movie like this because I don't know if anything it does is truly unique. Maybe the way that everything combines is unique or so. But I, th I think that there's so much in here that has you've seen before in other things that I think between the stuff that like doesn't quite hold up in 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 today's culture, uh, but also just like you've seen stuff before, and I feel like those two things coming out with fresh eyes sort of make it like it's it's difficult, difficult to enjoy fully. I uh, I totally you know I hear you guys, and I guess I first saw this in a time when. I, for lack of a better way of saying it, it was more accepted, I guess, you know, at the time when I first was exposed to this movie. I mean, I didn't get a lot of the humor when I first saw it. As a teenager, I just knew it as like a, you know, sexy boner comedy for, you know, it's even at the time was pushing it uh, with the misogyny and the stereotypes and... Mike, may I just say really quickly, gentlemen, start your boners. <laughs> <laughs> really i mean you know the amount of times that a punchline yelled is just you know the word tits it's most of the dialogue like I, you know this is one step away from having the national lampoon banner on it i'm surprised it doesn't to that degree and yeah i agree with everything you guys are saying as far as it being problematic and everything but i also just think it's fucking hilarious too like i don't know there's just something if you can understand that it or see it as more of like a exploitation midnight movie or something like that i think it helps too because we've seen this all before but it's combined in a it's fucking it's a Tom Hanks movie like somehow like that is the craziest thing about it is like he's involved you know he's Mr. Wholesome now but like and his roots are in this this crazy bachelor party movie and I think it it has its place it's not a very good place by any means or anything today I'm not gonna be like that hard on it I'm not gonna defend it more but like there's much worse out there like I thought it could have gone a lot further yeah honestly I don't know how much further it could have gone in any of those directions but sure I think the craziest thing about this movie and I don't know how this played at all but you would think that a movie like Bachelor Party is what you would, I think, again, I don't know what the trailer was like, I, I should have watched the trailer before I made this point, but, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I pictured this movie being sold to guys like, hey, do you want to see boobs in a movie? You want to see a bunch of, like, dumb, cool guys, like, having fun and, like, dancing and doing drugs and naked women. And then there's, like, long stretches of this movie that's the bridal shower. And, like, they spend time at a Chippendales club where there's like nearly naked men for like a couple of minutes of screen time and i'm like how did this play in 1984 if you went with a group of guys like yeah we're gonna see boobs like they watched in this movie like if you're the kind of group of guys who in this bachelor party kick things off by watching porn like if you go to this movie like yeah we're about to see some boobs on the big screen or whatever and then like how do you react to the Chippendale scene. Like, that's crazy to me. I, I think that part of it is just seeing, you know, the women in the movie are portrayed as being uptight and prissy and seeing them shocked when two prostitutes are sent to their fancy bridal shower and they're all like oh my goodness and then they go to the Chippendales and the mother of the bride uh, accidentally grabs a guy's dick you know it's like ha ha well I thought it was more like they were gonna 
have fun too. Like if the guys were going to go have their bachelor party, they're going to go have their bachelorette party, but then it sort of turns into a prank war for a minute and then they try to crash the bachelor party and dress up as like prostitutes. I wish that there was more interaction. Like I think that what you're saying there, Mike, is like it opened the possibility to a more interesting movie. Like I kind of wish that the guys danced at the Chippendales Club. You know what I mean? Like that there was some kind of like thing, like just like blend it more. You know Adrian Zemed was dying to dance at the Chippendales Club. Oh, yeah. shooting that. He gets his moment later. But yeah, I just, I, I wish that there was more interplay. Like, you know, it, it sort of subverts things a little bit and then just falls back into the, the stereotypes that you expect it to be. The most important thing, though, Mike, and I'm surprised that we made it like 10 or so minutes into this podcast without mentioning, Wendy Jo Sperber, Amy from Bosom Buddies, in this movie. Yeah, pretty great. I mean, a smaller role, but awesome. Yeah, playing a proctologist, no less. That, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, that was a funny joke. Of all the doctors you're going to be, that's the funniest, right? Uh, <laughs> I guess. Is it a joke? Yeah. I mean... Mm. Well, I thought the joke... I thought part of the joke was, you know, be quiet, my wife is here. And, like, you expected... First, you thought, like, you know, because it's the 80s, she was the receptionist. But then she turns out to be a doctor. But then she turns out to be a proctologist. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> what can I say? That was one of the, the moments in this movie where, like, after the doctor, like, after she did what she did, like, she literally, you see her pull uh, her hand out of an old man's uh, rectum because she's been giving him an exam, and she goes over, like, his wavy and Hanks' face to say hello, and then her husband, the other doctor, chases Hanks around the waiting room. I'm like, doctors don't act like this. And it's, it's the kind of movie where, like, if I was on board, I would have been like, oh, this is so wacky and fun, but I was already like, ugh, and it just didn't... Like, I kind of wish that there was, I know this is dumb to say, I wish that there was more realism in this heightened, stupid, fratty bro comedy. My recollection is not what it used to be because I'm ancient now and everything, but also this, the amount of movies I watch is sort of like too much to keep track of. But I remember this being more balanced, like spending as much time with the girls as with the boys and you know them plotting and planning more and things. And I think you know this would never be remade in any way I don't think that they would do that I mean it's a funny thing is that this is a 20th century Fox film now owned by Disney and in the opening there's a little baby wearing like a Mickey Mouse shirt who gets like pushed out of the way so Adrian Cement can take pictures of his mom's like endowment uh it's just all kinds of like craziness today but if it was sort of just like you know more equal i think that it would have played a lot better you know what struck me about this movie i for some reason i watched a movie called joysticks on amazon prime and it's it's a boner comedy from the same year set in an arcade and it's you know, the same sort of dumb jokes, the same sort of like slobs versus snobs mentality, which I can always get behind, interspersed with titillating scenes of sex and boobs. And it seemed like that was kind of a winning formula back then, a wacky comedy with some tits thrown in. It it seems kind of weird today, but it was it was a huge thing back then. And it kind of had a comeback in the 2010s and the early 2000s with the um, direct-to-video National Lampoon's movies and, of course, Wedding Crashers, which was, you know, sort of the return of the, the boner bro comedy. I think what you see every 20 years or so, it's like the people who grew up watching these movies are now making their own movies and sort of make what they like. So it's sort of, it, it makes sense that it's, the return of that type of humor blended with a more modern storytelling or decisions or whatever. The guy who wrote this movie also wrote Police Academy and uh, Moving Violations, which is 
a boner comedy set in a traffic school. I, I believe I was listening to a high school slumber party episode on the on the movie Summer School. They were trying to think of the name of that movie. It's moving violation. I think Wendy Jo Sperber's in that as well, if I'm not mistaken. She is, yeah. Another Bosom Buddies connection. Adrian Zemed was on an episode of Bosom Buddies. Oh, yeah, he played the rock star friend, right? Yeah, I, I at the time said that he was on Chips, but he was on TJ Hooker. He was Shatner's partner on Hooker. Oh. Yes, at the and time. he and Peter Scolari were in a sitcom a few years earlier called The Good Time Gals about four women living in an apartment building during World War II. And they were like the Lenny and Squiggy of that show, Adrian Zemed wow. and Peter Scolari. So. Wow, I could see that. But it's interesting, like, this kind of thing nowadays, you know, as far as, like, raunchy comedies, right? Like, yep. we get good, there's still, like, I find, like, today they're really good ones. There's, like, just, you know, I'm always promoting game night. Like, I guess the quote-unquote adult comedies that just are about the adults, you know? I mean, uh, Bridesmaids, right? Like, that's sort of a flip of this. Well, I feel like there's also, there was, a, there was that movie that after Bridesmaids was as, as successful as it was, they put out that movie called Bachelorette with Lizzie Kaplan and Rebel Will, like, a couple people, and I was just like, I did they didn't like it. That was more like the, like, let's just be, like, dirtier than Bridesmaids. It just felt like Bridesmaids felt, in a way, like, I've only seen it once, maybe twice, maybe, but it felt more like a, a breath of fresh air as opposed to maybe that's how this felt when it came up. A Bachelorette was just like, oh, I see what you're doing here, and it's not quite working. Yeah, there's still going to be sort of more bad than good, but I'm just, like, I still feel like... They still get away with a lot of stuff these days. Like, I remember even, what was the uh, prom night one that was out the other year with the adults were chasing the kids around. Making oh, Blockers. Sure they didn't... Blockers, yeah. And, you know, they wanted to name that movie Cock Blockers. And like, that would have been what they would have called it in the 80s, probably, right? But, I mean, that movie is hilarious and very raunchy. And, you know, in 10 years, it's probably going to be like, whoa, well, this is problematic or something. But for the time... It, it's working. And I guess that's what I was trying to say earlier about this movie. Like, like it worked then. Larson mentioned the writer of this movie, the writer-director, Neil Israel. More important to us, Mike, I'm sure you know, the former Mr. Amy Heckerling. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. The name sounded so familiar, and then I was right, right online. And I was also like, oh. of importance to us, aside from the Cinemaker's connection with Amy Heckerling, uh, he directed a movie called Hounded, Mike. If you remember Hounded, uh, the Shia LaBeouf, uh, T.J. Mowry, uh, Disney Channel original movie about dogs that was terrible. That, he did? Really? He did. Yeah, that wasn't, I mean, Shia was in that, but that was more about the other kid and his brother fighting the dog. Yeah, he was in a couple of those early ones that were just, you know, let's forget all of them, except for Monkey Business, because Monkey Business is the greatest movie of all time. There are things in this movie that Hanks does that, you know, I was waiting, I was waiting, 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 Mike, for, for juggling, and we don't get juggling, but we get up close, you know, close-up magic. Like, he gets, he's, he's practicing the mean? card tricks. You do, like, you get juggling, you missed it. We do? Where, when does he juggle? He juggles meatballs. He juggles three meatballs and he throws them into the pot. Oh, yes. I even just saw that. And I did. It didn't. It didn't click in my brain. I don't know how that. I, I, wow. 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 Yeah, because I was on high alert. Wow, I missed that too. And and when I saw the card tricks, I thought for sure juggling was was close behind. But uh, yeah, I guess I missed that. He, he does the juggling when he's you know blow torching dinner. Him as a welder was new. You know, I like when uh, Tony Katane shows up and like kisses him through his welding mask. I thought that was a funny visual. I loved her job where she works. That was like the just quintessential 80s 
clothing store with like the crazy neon and the music blasting and just like everyone dancing. Oh, absolutely. I I have I have a big note on that. Like I love 80s malls. Like I'm a big fan of 80s nostalgia because that's when I was a kid, but nothing says the 80s quite like an, a good 80s mall. The neon uh, mirrored walls uh, the music, the fashion, it's all there. It's like distilled into one place. It's, it was great. You know, there's no better 80s mall maybe than uh, Fast Times. So we're talking about Amy Hackerlin, talking about Cage Club here, you know. Fast Times, great mall in that movie. But so Larson, I want to I kick things off here. If you had to say, what is your favorite moment in Bachelor Party? What was the, the scene or the event or the action or the line? What, what tickled you the most about Bachelor Party? Well... It, you know, as we've said, and I'm sure we'll continue to say, there's a lot about the bachelor party itself that's kind of gross. A bunch of dudes sitting around watching porn together, a bunch of dudes who are just really excited about having sex with prostitutes and sharing them with each other. But eventually it just becomes a party. It's just a big 80s party with a band that shows up and just like random people pile in and... I love a good party. I love a party with a bunch of random people just having a crazy good time. And this is, you know, such a great 80s movie moment. Just having this crazy wild party. Everyone's having a good time. Sure, there are prostitutes there, but they're just dancing. Some of them have their boobs out, but whatever. And the band is great. Adrian Zemed gets up there to sing a song. You know, it's it's just a great party. That was my favorite. Mike, what about you? So my favorite moment is like, so, and this always happens, Joey, like some of the like comedies that are sort of perceived as being the worst have like one or two of the like greatest jokes. And, uh, you know, in a million ways to die in the West has the classic dollar joke. I just can't get enough of that fucking joke. Uh, and this has one of my favorite moments and that's the 3D movie fight. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. The conclusion, the climax, when he's fighting the guy in front of the screen and the people are watching the 3D movie, and it's just amazing. Like, that was just, that's, you know, brilliant. Is that a real movie that they're watching, or is that just something that they shot for this? Uh, Yeah, I think think that's something they shot for this. I mean, I'm not positive, but it seems like something they shot and timed out and, you know, choreographed for that sequence. I think my favorite... It's it's sort of a sequence. It's it's kind of two things sort of back to back. The whole movie, as we were talking about earlier, sets up the bridal shower as these bunch of uptight women who, you know, are offended by nudity, are offended by pranks, are bothered by everything. You know, they're from this, like, country club background, reminding me a little bit of Red Oaks, kind of. Like, this is definitely the kind of family who would go to Red Oaks, Mike. Uh, yeah, boy chick. But I like that at some point they decide we're going to get the guys back and they decide to dress up like prostitutes and go i guess prank them like i don't know what their plan was but i like that they had this like weird reversal because it felt unexpected in the movie and i liked that they did it and i thought that they looked cool and like they sort of you know were empowered and did that thing and then i liked the whole sequence and again i don't know that this could be problematic i'm not sure i don't think it is but again, I enjoyed it. I like when Debbie, the Tony Tang character, 
is spotted from across the room, and Hank sees her, or somebody sees her and points her out to Hanks, and Hanks has the Kyle Mooney-type character go over to her and, like, tell her to go in the back room. And I like that interplay between them in there, like, where she thinks that she has the upper hand, but he actually knows it's her, and they're, like, being, like, real sort of, like, it's like the spy-on-spy sort of thing. I just thought that was a very interesting, unexpected kind of twist. I guess I sort of expected the worlds to intersect at some point, but I didn't expect it to be like that. And I thought that was a really kind of cool, sort of refreshing change to what I was thinking might come. Yeah, I really love their relationship between the two of them. Like, they're not together that much in this movie. You know, they're, like, separated by the parties and stuff. But in the first sort of, like, ten minutes when... He goes to her house and we see how much her parents just like hate his guts and like they're filthy rich and think he's kind of like this gold digger type dude or whatever. But like, no, we get to see that scene when they're in bed and they're kind of having like doubts, but they sort of talk each other down and everything's going to be okay and, you know, nothing to worry about and stuff. So I was like really sort of like, wow, how does it manage to be sort of like that touching and then yet managed to sort of be so offensive as well like on the other side of the spectrum in the same movie yeah i was i was thinking that too like it it actually of all the things it reminded me of mandy because in in a few short scenes you're able to see how well they get along and how genuine their relationship is which is a good thing because the rest of the characters are just awful (laughs) and they're willing to well i believe only his brother is married right the rest of them are single but he's willing to cheat on his wife at the drop of a hat in contrast to them you get tom hanks who is obviously very much in love with his fiancee and turns down every opportunity to cheat on her. Yeah, including Tracy, who apparently, the Tracy backstory is bananas. That Tracy is the woman who, if you remember, gets fully naked because at some point in her life, she had a crush on Tom Hanks. And Adrian Zabin was like, oh, you remember Tracy. He's like, I'm a human male. Of course I remember Tracy. And he and Adrian Zabin says, well, she had a crush on you, and I told her that you were about to go off the market, and so she's here. And Tom Hanks goes into this bedroom, and it feels like a dream sequence, but it's not a dream sequence. Because, you know, the character continues into what doesn't feel like a dream sequence anymore. But she just takes off all of her clothes and says, have your way with me. And I'm like, what? what? And so I rewound it, because I was like, I must have missed something. But no, it's just, you remember Tracy. Of course I remember Tracy. Well, she's in the bedroom who wants to have sex with you. It's just like, wait, how, what? No, yeah, I mean, like, this movie moves at a breakneck speed, too, and, like, just throws just everything at the wall as well, you know? So, like, I think the the whole thing with that is that he starts imagining everybody else as her head. So you get, like, Tawny Katane's head on the naked body, then you get his brother's head on the naked body, then you get the nun's head on the naked body and stuff. So, like, that, it's sort of more of a setup for that that joke like you know it doesn't really matter i don't i'm kind of surprised like it would be tracy like i thought maybe that he just told hanks that to get him in the room and then it turned out to be someone who just looked very much like tawny katane uh sort of like her double or something but no yeah it's some really well-written moments, and then lots of very poorly written moments. So That sort of pivots me into my least favorite moment, which is, aside from the transphobia and the homophobia and the terrible xenophobia and racism, like, the Indian pimp is just, like, stereotype after stereotype, and, like, the first pimp's a black guy. Like, it's just, a lot of this movie is just like, oh, that's 
Very offensive, anybody can see that. What I was bothered by, aside from all of that, was how lazy Debbie's family felt, the Tony Katane character. Like, you know, Hanks' soon-to-be-in-laws. And the fact that there's the guy Cole, who's like this, you know, like, uh, you know, uptight, prim and proper, country club, great at tennis guy. Like, it all just felt so stereotypical. And I don't know if that's the kind of thing, just because I've seen so many movies that have done that sort of thing already or what, but, like, it just felt like there was they were not characters. They were stereotypes. And it just, just like it felt like there was such an opportunity there to do something unique or original or novel and have a twist on it in some way. And for him to just be so dead set on buying Debbie, or, like, you know, maybe... Maybe in a better movie, you know, Tom Hanks gives her up or something, and she realizes, or that's, I guess, a different movie altogether, but, like, and she realizes, like, oh, no, this guy is terrible. You know what I mean? There's something that it just, they don't take the extra step. Or, like, her family is so against Hanks, and Hanks is so terrible as a person around them. And, like, I don't understand why that would be the case. Like, you know, if you want to goof around, that's fine, but, like, why would you be so out? right disrespectful to like the parents of the woman you love who like we talked about like genuinely love like it just it feels all so weird and stereotypical and like not normal and it just it bothered me how underwhelming it all felt yeah i mean i could see that but it's setting up it's slobs versus snobs credentials like we were talking before about how it follows all the tropes of of a boner comedy but nothing was more ubiquitous back then than the slobs versus snobs movie where you had the tennis playing country club going old gray-haired man who was like you'll never marry my daughter and you know it of course they're cliches and they're horrible cliches. And and yes, I absolutely agree that, you know, even someone as wacky as Hanks' character in this movie and eccentric is acting a little out of character around them. You know, he should at least be trying to uh, be nice to them. But it's a cartoon. The movie's a cartoon. So in a, in a smarter movie, in a more nuanced movie, then yeah, the relationships between the characters would be a little more thought out. But you can't expect that much from it. Basically, it's like the Caddyshack sort of dynamic, right? It's the underdog. You got to root for him because he doesn't have everything. He doesn't have money and all that kind of thing. And that was just like a big mentality in comedies in general, I feel like, not just throughout the 80s, but now. And like, that's sort of been substituted for other demographics. You know, the asshole has sort of like changed places now. So like, you can be, you know, in a comedy and be rich and white and not be an asshole in the 2000s and stuff like that. It's possible for sure. But like, I don't know. I just feel like there's been a lot since the 80s that has pushed and pulled from this material too so like yes this has been recycled millions of times since and hundreds of times before like again i feel like this is very much what you would read in national lampoons you know they're just quick setups basically is what they are is like their punchlines are going to come later when brad's car gets like you know turned into a lowrider and he gets like hung out of his hotel room naked by bed sheets and <laughs> falls in the newlyweds moon roof you know moons the moon roof like i i can understand how they might seem thin today and stuff but uh i think they're they're working just fine for the type of movie they're in like they make the point loud and clear early on and that's kind of all you need and i think as far as like hank's character goes he does push it a little bit but like he's puck like he's the prankster he's just like the lovable goof like that's why she loves him because like he doesn't take life seriously and like he can be a bus driver and a welding artist and just kind of drift through life like that and 
they can love each other that way and stuff. But like, you know, maybe he is just poking at the dad a little too much and should call a truce or whatever. But the dad's being quite a prick himself and everything. And so. Why? Yeah, I mean, I know that. But like, it just, you know, I'm, I'm watching it again as we record. And I just saw the tennis scene where like he basically hits the home run with a tennis ball where you know, they hit it to him and he just like knocks it out of the park. And then they're like, you know, try to keep it in check. And then he does the same thing again. I'm like, I don't know if that's a, a, the character being annoying or just like poor writing, but it just feels like it's uninspired like it feels like it's too much of the same kind of thing i understand why it's to that extreme but why is it repeated yeah and then especially when you cut to the neighbor and you see like 80 balls around i like that yeah that part's cool but that's so that's the punchline i think the problem that i was having and i think this is like a a very very small instance is that this movie not that it's long but it's an hour 45 like I I would have thought for sure it would have been like an hour 30 like I feel like there's just like little bits that you cut out of here to sort of trim things up and not necessarily get rid of plot points even though by all means go for that but to just get things tighter and the jokes to be closer together and have it be a, a shorter movie that works a little bit better than what feels like it's a little bit padded out yeah, I actually feel like they did cut out a, a sequence because we don't see Hanks's folks until the wedding. And when we do, like, his dad looks, like, insane in the front row. Like, he, he's like, I don't know if you caught a shot of him, uh, but, like, Hanks's side is all cheering and... Drinking beers. Tony Katane's side isn't and stuff. And so, like, I have a feeling maybe they visited his house and there was, like, a party going on or something, but... Yeah, I do agree with you. They should have just trimmed the party itself. Like, there is literally 10 minutes of just the crowd dancing. Like, you could easily just trim a lot of that. Well, a movie like this, you know, you can sum up the plot in about three sentences, and in between is just bits. It's like, you know, I feel like that's kind of the template for most movies like this. You know, it's like, guy has big party, somebody wants it to go wrong, you know, everything gets crazy, but in the end, everything works out. And in between, there's just all kinds of little silly scenes. That's kind of how they made comedies back then, sort of like the airplane format. But yeah, they could have definitely cut out <laughs> some of the wackiness. Yeah, in a, in a weird way, I, I was thinking of Superbad, because like that's kind of a good example of a movie where it's like, okay, we need to just get to this party, and then there's like all this... You know, all these little episodes happen on the way to the party kind of thing. And like, oh, it's like that sort of utilized its structure a lot better than Bachelor Party. It would have been funny if there, you know, something happened with the lodgers, right? They set up the lodgers a lot. And like, I just felt like, oh, maybe there'd be like a rival party with or maybe the security at the hotel was going to be more up their ass and stuff. Because like, you know, he comes out early and is like, this is, you know, a respectable hotel. I am the manager. And they all sort of like applaud him and everything and stuff and say like, thanks. Nice to meet you. But like, no, like he never comes back and stuff. So it seemed like an Elks club, but it's it's the Elks head beer representatives. Like it's like a company outing like it's not like a club it's like it's a company outing and that which is weird and what i feel like this movie misses the mark on is that it sets up and i think this might be editing like i think you're right mike that they might have cut other things out is that like it feels like they set up two groups of similar things that are meant to be confused or crossed and 
doesn't happen. Like, there's the group of hookers, the actual people that, that got hired, and then there's the bridal shower that dresses like hookers. And at the end, you know, there's a there's a little bit of a joke that, like, the bridal shower is getting arrested by the cops because they're the ones and they have to sort of talk their way out of it. But then there's, like, the, the donkey that's, like, in costume, and then the actual donkey, but they don't ever cross paths. There are so many opportunities for this movie to have been more clever than it was. To be a, to be a farce, you know? It should have been a farce with a lot of mistaken identities and people running in and out of rooms, and, and, and it's just not clever enough to be that. Yeah, you know, that's funny because, uh, you know, this guy was married to Heckerling because uh, halfway through this, I was sort of thinking of movies like Johnny Dangerously or stuff like Top Secret, just taking this sort of comedy genre, the party you know, the party theme or whatever, and yeah, spoofing it or something. But instead, they kind of, I don't want to say take themselves seriously because they don't, obviously, but like, they're not making fun of themselves. Like they're, you know what I'm saying? Like they're not, it doesn't feel tongue in cheek in that way, right? It doesn't seem self-aware enough until like that, for me, until like the 3D scene, that's about as fourth wall breaking as it gets. But like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think it might have fared better and been a lot, a lot tamer too, you know, but funnier probably. Like you guys were saying before, like you, you learn pretty quickly how this movie is not existing in reality, but it doesn't commit to that. It, like, it could have gone one way or the other. It could have been a semi-realistic farce, or it could have been a crazy over-the-top airplane-type film. And it doesn't quite commit to either of those. Yeah, I'm less offended. I mean, I'm offended by the, you know, all the stuff that we were talking about before, but I'm sort of bothered. I'm more upset by the fact that this is just like a missed opportunity because it feels like it's trying to be three different things and not actually sticking the landing on any of them. And I like that it, like, I, I genuinely like that there's the duality of the bachelor party and the bridal shower. Like, I thought that was really interesting. I wasn't expecting that. But I feel like it doesn't do anything with that. Like, it has all these ideas. And I don't know if it's whether it's because they're trying to edit it down to a shorter movie or if they're just they don't have the tone right or if there are reshoots or whatever because there's not a ton of trivia about this on IMDb and I would think that you know considering it's one of Tom Hanks's earliest you know breakout roles and sort of in a sense this kind of famous 80s you know frat comedy bro comedy whatever I thought that there would have been more to read about but it doesn't seem like there there is it just sort of seems that this was just a no one really knows what to make of it so let's just you know watch it and move on they had the opportunity to improve on their mistakes in 2008 with bachelor party 2 I saw that starring Harland Williams wait is it T-O-O no unfortunately not it's the number two so Larson we just I'll, I'll let you continue but we found out that last episode episode the splash there was going to be a splash two or there was a splash two t-o-o yes i i heard all about that yeah but this was going to be bachelor party two in 2008 like 24 years after but yeah larson go ahead well i was just going to say that they you know if only the filmmakers had heard this conversation in 2006 or so uh <laughs> they could have improved on the original but by all accounts bachelor party two is dumber than the original so unfortunately, the same executive producers actually. I think I think one of the house. I think maybe House Party three or four is a bachelor party. Uh, what I think might have 
benefited more in this movie and what i was excited about when it started happening is when they're like hey we're getting some fresh air let's go out like i thought they would be out more like doing you know like sure we'll go prank our wives and things like that but like we also need to like re-up on beer and like let's go to a diner or get some fast food or you know like get like maybe someone's gonna get lost try to buy drugs yeah, right. Sure. Like try to get drugs, like do all that stuff. And not only that, but it's it's a hotel. There's so much stuff they could have done, so many hijinks they could have gotten into in a hotel. Not to mention other rooms, but you know, there's an ice machine and there's the laundry room and and the lobby and you know, all kinds of craziness they could get into, but Yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Bogdanovich film What's Up Doc with Streisand. It's freaking hilarious. It just takes place and it's uh, Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand and it just takes place like in a hotel. It's just hilarity ensues. Like the entire 90 minutes, I'm just losing my mind. It's it's a Looney Tunes, but it's terrific. So if that's what you're looking for, I suggest that's a recommend. Yes. I was thinking this entire movie, what Tom Cruise would be like in this role, if he would work in this role. Because, you know, we play that game, what's the other Tom, the other Tom, whatever. And the thing that stuck out the most to me was how diametrically opposed, how wild, like complete 180, this Tom Hanks character is from the Tom Cruise character in Risky Business. I feel like there could not be less in common between the two of them. That Tom Cruise character eventually leans in and just like, looks like the University of Illinois. Or, you know, he's just like, he's like, this is what I'm doing. Like, he kind of gives up and resigns <laughs> to his place in life. Exactly. This is what this is what life is now. And, and this Tom Hanks is just like, you know, I'm just gonna sit here. I hope you all have fun. This is my party, but like, I don't. I just want to sit here and just wait for my, my wait for my fiance. Yeah, it's more for them than for him. Yeah. And you know, I don't think that he would have fit in this Tom Hanks role because I think the whole movie would have been wildly different. I can see him in the Adrian Zemed role. Ooh, I think he'd be a good Brad. He could be intense as uh, the rival, but <laughs> is his name Brad or Cole? Oh, I don't know. Did I just call him? Brad because he he looks like a Brad. <laughs> I think he's I think his name is Cole. Just seems like a Brad or a Chad. I also want to talk about and we'll we'll come back to the cruise game because I I I don't want to derail myself. But like, there's another character in this movie that we've not mentioned yet that they bring in from out of town, their old friend who the entire movie just tries to kill himself over and over again. Like, and that's comedy. I I remember seeing the bit where he tries to slit his wrist with an electric razor and thinking that was pretty funny. The joke they're going for is that he sucks at committing suicide but yeah i mean that's not exactly like i mean that's a tender topic as well right yeah i mean well i mean the movie better off dead it's a huge plot point in that and that's a great movie you know that is true like suicide is still like an epidemic and in the 80s like teen suicide as well the difficult thing here is that it's not a huge plot point here it's like the eighth most important thing that's happening yeah, it's his crutch, right? Like, so every one of his friends, has, aside from being, like, super horny, has, like, a thing. And, like, Adrian Zemed is, like, the photographer friend, and his other buddy is the mechanic, and his other buddy is the scalper. And those are basically their identities. Like, that is what they do, like, throughout the movie. Yeah, that guy's whole thing. I think that's the guy whose name is Brad. So, like, his whole thing is, like, yeah, he's suicidal. He's the suicidal friend. Now, look, I mean, it is what it is, but, like, those are the sort of short 
shortcuts that make up the shortcomings of the, of these types of movies I mean, if you're not going to explore that brad i think a lot of the reason why he wants to kill himself is because he's so miserable in his marriage which is something that he brings up almost immediately uh when he shows up him and rick's brother are i, I believe the only two that are actually married and all they can talk about is how awful being married is you know, which is which is another like going back. We were going to talk about aspects of the movie we didn't like. Larson, what's your, what's your least favorite? Do you have a least favorite moment? I said mine, but I, I think we just sort of began talking about other things. What's your least favorite moment? Yeah, well, I, I thought about this because, you know, there was a lot I didn't really like about this movie. But as someone who is about to get married and who is about to have a bachelor party. And get married to someone who loves this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to talk about that. Which is the most troubling thing of all. Just the fact that your bachelor party was seen as the last time that you were going to ever enjoy your life. Like, your life was over, and you were entering into just a lifetime of of awfulness. Prison, yeah. A life sentence, I think it's referred to. <laughs> yeah, and, and the only way to fully appreciate your last hurrah was to have sex with a prostitute or watch porn, and it all felt really gross. I don't know if it's a specific moment, but I think their passion for prostitutes and their negative view of married life made me think, like, is this how it always was? Like, I'm really glad that it's not like this anymore. What kind of came to mind was, like, when is this ever pop up, like, nowadays in comedies? And funny enough, Joey, in Waking Up in Reno... You know, Billy Bob Thornton and Patrick Swayze bump into Nevada's number one working girl, played by Penelope Cruz, I believe. In there, it's really well handled because they sort of talk about fidelity and marriage and why they chose their lifestyles and stuff. And I was like, kind of like, you know, when I rewatched that movie, I was like, wow, this scene is really kind of crazy but there was just a point where all of this was just the butt of jokes or or seen in society as whatever is sort of like viewed as the more negative or seedy side so like you know things like Times square you know in new york city during the 70s and 80s like all that stuff was ripe for humor because it was like the sort of taboo stuff you didn't talk about so it just instantly sort of made you giggle because People avoided those types of topics and subjects, or when you did hear about him, it was often dangerous. So it was good to be able to, like, laugh at that kind of thing and provided a bit of a release, I guess, at the time. But, you know, nowadays, just things are much darker. (laughs) Like, um, it's just doesn't, it's not as funny. And, you know, there's just a whole other world of context to go along with it all, so... I think the weirdest thing about this movie, and I think what Larson was saying reminded me, is that the premise of this is that both the bridal shower and the bachelor party, all the people who essentially are are the bride and groom's best friends, don't know that they're getting married until a week before the wedding? Yeah, the timeline is a little weird. Not many people decide to get married a week after they propose. I, I can say from experience that there's a lot of work that goes into it. Well, so did, did he propose or did they did they have a plan for a while and then they just told the friends then? Yeah, like I, I thought that uh, the, it was sort of a secret that got out. But then upon rewatching it, Hanks tells his buddies like she, her uh, Tawny Katane's friend comes up and is like, I just found out you're engaged. I 
thought that the Adrian Zamed was going to stand up because I couldn't remember how it went exactly and was going to go like, I've got an announcement to make. Our buddy's getting married. And Hanks was going to be like, how'd you find out? But yeah, it seems like that's how it should have happened, but it's not. The other thing that I didn't like about this movie, the other scene was when Adrian Zamed is putting different costumes on the baby at the beginning and he puts like alien antenna and googly eyes on the kid and he's like, oh, now you're a little Jedi. That has nothing to do with Star Wars. (laughs) Well, again, it's even crazier because, you know, he mentions Star Wars. The kid's wearing a Mickey Mouse t-shirt. This movie is a 20th Century Fox production. It's all owned by Disney now. I'm waiting for the special edition. Maybe that's my favorite part, Larson. <laughs> I, think, I think that's my favorite part of the movie. Forget the 3D thing. <laughs> I love the coincidence of Disney now owning this movie. The follow-up is that, like, you know, because the movie starts and Hanks tells his friends, like, you know, the Saturday after next, I'm getting married, I'm losing my freedom, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, that seems so abrupt, but it feels almost like, well... Maybe I don't want to tell my friends this because he all sort of expects, like, how they react to him when he's like, I'm getting married. They're like, oh, we're so sorry for you. Like, you know, I think what Larson was saying earlier, like, it's, it's these people, like, this movie for a while feels anti-marriage for many different ways. That they're just like, oh, you're losing your innocence. You'll never be happy again. All this different stuff. Or if you are married, you know, you're going to want to kill yourself and whatever. And then the movie ends on this, like, cheerful, positive note where they drive off into the, they literally drive off into the sunset, you know, instead of just married, saying just having sex. Like, it's, it's pro-marriage. Like, it's just, it's all wildly, weirdly inconsistent, and, like, things begin to make sense, and then they just stop making sense. Well, honestly, I think his friends are more happy that he's going to be having sex with this beautiful woman for the rest of his life. Like, if she wasn't Tawny Katane, they'd probably still be pissed about it. But, you know, as they're driving away, they're like, yeah, lay some pipe. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, they're super shallow. Like, I bet they're all just like childhood friends. Like, that's the only way I could sort of rationalize him staying in touch with these guys. But even so, one thing that maybe is like, I just quickly get my least favorite part out of the way and it sort of is a it bounces off of that photo shoot thing hanks joins in with the booby shots like adrian zamed pushes the little kid out of the way and he's like why don't you take a nap little kid and he gets into the frame well the mom is into it i know the mom's into it but then hanks comes in and he just sort of does that dance where he's like all right i guess i'll join in too and like puts his head under the boobs and like next to them and like points at them and everything like that and stuff and i was just like well i expect that from adrian's med but not from you hanks and then i was like well maybe that's why he didn't want to tell his friends is because he knew they were they were gonna throw this huge bachelor party that he was gonna have to deal with all of their like bullshit all night and all that and that's kind of the last thing it seems like he wanted and he's just too nice a guy to deny his friends his bachelor party like question mark but okay so mike you know i was i said before that i think that cruz would not play well as the hanks character but i think he would fit in the adrian Zemed role what would this movie be like if tom cruise was in the hanks role or what other character would he replace how, how would he fit into this world of bachelor party i don't think he'd play the hanks role well he's very he just seems more intense as an actor still even when he's like playing relaxed hanks or cruise Cruise. Okay. I, I feel like Cruise is more intense, like, even, you know, in, in his work and stuff. But I think he'd be good as, like, a new friend. I want to create, like, a new role for him where he plays sort of the preppy friend. Maybe he's Tony Katane's brother. Oh, 
Hanks and him like do get along and they talk about how you know like maybe you should lighten up and like yeah maybe your dad should lighten up and like they sort of have like a little bit of like a bonding then maybe we do that and we replace that with the guy who actually plays hanks's brother like we get rid of that character and turn that into 20 contains brother you know you just gave me another idea and it's a it's a character that's not in the movie again but cole the blonde guy who wants to buy debbie off of tom hanks maybe he needs a sidekick because i feel like cruz could fit in there too like he's not the one (laughs) pursuing debbie but he's the one helping misdirect the hookers and get his car back and whatever so maybe maybe that fits too i don't know but larson what about you how does tom cruise fit in this world do you see tom cruise in the lead role and what would that be like or if not uh, what kind of character would he play in this world i see tom cruise either as sort of young and innocent as he was in losing it (laughs) or sort of the the cocky maverick bad boy and i don't think either of those fit tom hanks tom hanks's character in this is sort of sort of in the middle he's kind of a lovable goofy guy and that's a role that i don't think cruz could play in any phase of his career like you guys were saying he would be much better off his intensity would make him great as someone who was trying to ruin the party like the the chad or brad or whatever his name is or as one of the friends as the guy who goes up and sings with the band the adrian's Ahmed. so i just think he's woefully underqualified to be the Hanks role. Woefully underqualified. I like that. I don't think we've ever said that about uh, another actor. You know, that's perfect. You just, you know, you know, we, we like you kids, but, you know, come back in a couple years and you got a couple more years experience under your belt. Yeah, sorry, Mr. Cruz. Before we uh, get to the other games and stuff, I want to say that there's a couple things in here that I really liked. Uh, Hanks crooning as he welds. I don't think he's really sung a bunch. I know he will say other stuff, but I thought him crooning as he welded was pretty cool. I love uh, when he's cooking with wine and he's like, I want some wine. <laughs> And he whines about it. I don't know. I always, I always thought that was hilarious. One of my favorite lines. <laughs> a connection to our last movie, Mike Splash. Oh, you mean Splash? Splash with an exclamation point. Do you remember in that movie, as he's like Daryl Hannah, let's get married, let's get let's get married, let's go get the blood test right now? Here we actually see him get the blood test. He goes to get his blood test from his brother before the wedding. Which Larson, is that a, is that still a thing that people do? Do you have to get a blood test to get married? I don't believe so. I I feel like. A lot of things in this movie, it's it's a relic of the past. You know, no one's told me I needed to, but I've got about a month and a half left, so we'll see if it comes up. I can't wait for you to get to the altar, and then the, you know, whoever's marrying you is just like, blood test results, please. You're like, oh no, bachelor party was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Of all the things. <laughs> <laughs> no. I really, really, really like that the women, and I feel like this was so underplayed for no reason. I like that the women were able to edit the porno tape in the backseat of the car. Like, they just cut out all the porn. Like, I think that's so funny. And it's just so undersold. Yeah, yeah. That that I thought that maybe they would cut in like other scenes or something or go further with it or whatever but the guys are like oh the girls must have gotten hold of our porno well well or like film themselves and be like haha we got you this movie is some of the worst adr that i've ever seen where they pick up the auto mechanic and he's just clearly standing under the car like drinking a beer and he's just talking and his mouth's not moving but he's talking he says like a, a couple lines this is a little bit of a reach mike but i was going all the way back to he knows you're alone because we spent so much time what felt like a lot of time maybe it wasn't in that wedding dress shop remember that old guy like smoking oh, the cigars God, yes. oh jeez so that you know when we talked about your your favorite 80s clothing store that reminded me a little bit that there's a you know a clothing store in one of these you know 80s wedding movies what did you guys think of the joke about the changing room the doors 
I was I was spending more time trying to think if that would could actually work. Like if you're like, okay, I'm changing pants, uh, you just go in a, with one with just a bottom, or like you want to change your shirt, you go in one with just a top. But like it's it's you know it's funny, but it's also like I was just more curious about whether that could actually work or not. It reminded me of when I worked at Hollister because like the changing rooms are just like these long hallways and you just like go ahead get changed in front of each other really i was like that's how it seemed kind of yeah like it was weird no one's modest there i have a couple of notes uh one of them is that two of the professions of the friends are things that just don't exist anymore but i'm sure we're booming in the early 80s portrait studios like photography portrait studios and ticket brokers you know like you, you don't call somebody and be like hey do you think i could get you know, four tickets to see the police. You have to go through, you have to wait for the right time to log on to Ticketmaster and, you know, that guy's out of a job. Yeah, Joey, it reminded me, again, a Heckerling callback, Damone from oh, yeah. uh, Fast Times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of all grown up here. And uh, yeah, that portrait studio stuff, because they show him like doing the photos, but then they do the reverse shot and he's in like the baby sections of like Sears or something. And like, I remember as a kid walking around and like, you'd be in the department store with your mom and all of a sudden, like you'd be taking, you'd get your picture taken and you're like, what the hell's going on? Wait, what? What's happening all of a sudden? Where did this come from? So yeah, just like brilliant strategizing, just like placement of those uh, photo places. And also the uh, blonde friend who is the waiter who i think is like the least developed of the friend characters that is michael dudikoff the american ninja from the canon film oh how about that you know larson a little bit ago you mentioned high school slumber party you mentioned the summer school episode this reminded me of another a recent high school slumber party episode shout out brian if you're listening when Cole goes to the hotel across the street and is shooting arrows from that bow oh god do we need to talk about kevin is that <laughs> I wrote down we need to talk about Colvin. Like it's, <laughs> it's like he's good enough to get it in the room, but bad enough that he's not hitting anybody. I was just like, this is a weird. And then they, you know, they bring Tracy over there. They dangle him out the window, and like it's all just it's all weird. Like that's kind of in a way the kind of the madcap stuff that I guess I wanted, but by that point the movie had lost me so much that I wasn't really even enjoying that as much as I could have. You know when that works best is when it's sort of. When it's in a more of a cleaner film, I'd just say like I, like I think of it's a mad, 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 mad world like that is just an all time classic. It's like three and a half hours of just craziness and it goes by like nothing. Wouldn't believe it. And then there's similar movies like I, I really like that one. I think it's like Rat Race, right? Like that's pretty clever. That's sort of from man, that must be 15 years now or whatever. But Rat Race? John Cleese and like yeah Whoopi Goldberg and like you know Brecken Meyer and like John Lovitz yeah you know it gets to moments that should work better and do work better in other movies and I think the sort of raunchiness is and it's ironic because it's you know about a bachelor party but like that kind of stuff is sort of getting in the way here like you know I mean if this was a cleaner film I think it'd be playing a lot better yeah the gags would work that are here and they'd find funnier things to do. So apparently this movie was based on the actual bachelor party thrown for producer Bob Israel, which I'm guessing is Neil's brother or something. So I'm sure it's all heightened and stuff where they're like, yeah, we just, you know, a donkey showed up and there were hookers and, you know, there was an Indian pimp. And they sat around, they watched Losing It. 
they watched like a couple movies and they're like, you know what would be amazing is if this was our life. And then... So the uh, the main character, the Rick character, the Tom Hanks character, Jim Carrey, who we just talked about, I think, in the last episode, oh. though, was considered for the legend role, right? With, with the I forget Cruise. how long Jim Carrey's been around yep. for. Like, it always just, like, catches me off guard. Oh, also... Separately, I want to note here that if you are following the Tom Tom Club both feeds, we are now back in time, and Tom Hanks will never catch up to like in in order of where we're going. We're staggering. Tom Cruise is always going to be ahead because like Tom Cruise has made fewer things, so we we jump ahead sooner or we jump ahead earlier or whatever. But you know, Cruise Club already in '85, and this is still '84, so we are we're beginning the the separation of Hanks and Cruise. We're going to spend more time in the '80s, more time in the '90s with Tom Hanks just because he made so much more stuff in there. So Jim Carrey. Howie Mandel and Tim Robbins were considered for the Tom Hanks character. Oh, I could see Tim Robbins at that time. And I feel like we we talked about her being... What was this? All I can think of... Howie Mandel kind of looked like Hanks at the time. Like, it's hard to imagine because he's like this, you know, he's been so bald for so long and everything, but he had like the same Hanks hair and that sort of lean, wiry overexcited sort of vibe to him. He did that movie Walk Like a Man. Did you guys ever see that? Where so (laughs) Oh my God. I was I was just gonna mention that because there were there were promos for that on HBO all the time when I was a kid. And it had the song that went along with it. Howie Mandel was lost in the woods as a child raised by wolves, found by his millionaire like relatives as an adult and taught to adapt to modern society it is a riot holy shit the the role of debbie the tawny katane role mike you'll remember she was also considered for the role of the daryl hannah role of madison in splash julia louis dreyfus was considered for that role oh no kidding i was thinking of his bosom buddies co-star oh uh sunny 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 yeah so interestingly, apparently, Kelly McGillis and Paul Reiser were cast in this movie, but they didn't have enough chemistry, so they were let go. But there's another note on IMDb that said Kelly McGillis was fired because she wasn't pretty or sexy enough to be the Debbie role, which seems wildly incorrect. Uh, but also, you know, knowing that next week's movie is Top Gun... Um, I think she did all right for herself. Yeah. It's weird because I don't feel, aside from a few moments of Hanks's friends being like, Debbie's so hot or whatever, like, it's not really, it doesn't really come up. Like, it could, it, you know, I don't feel like that's her defining trait as a character no. is that she's hot. Like, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like it could have worked, but I'm not a casting agent. But again, that just proves that, like, people making this movie did not know what they were doing. Although, you know, I, I like Tony Katana in the role. I like Hanks enough in the role. Yeah, she's actually got some great timing in this movie. I'll tell you, the only thing I knew about Tawny Katane was that she was in that 80s music video, Here I Go Again on My Own. Oh, really? The White Snake video? Yeah, she, like, dances on the hood of a car, and that's, like, iconic, and, and that's all I knew about Tawny Katane. So I was surprised to see that she actually held her own in this movie. I Googled her because I was like, what else has she been in? Because if you just Google her, I think, or maybe it's because I was Googling Bachelor Party before, but it just shows the cast of Bachelor Party. Like, this is, like, what she's known for, apparently. And they're, one of the first things in the results on Google is, like, the, the rise and fall of Tawny Katane, that she, like, came seemingly from out of nowhere and became like this sex icon and then like as quickly as it all came about it all evaporated so i didn't read the whole thing but if you want to learn more about the life and career of tony teen check out google she could have gone on and had like you know sort of like a parallel career to hanks and been like this comedian actress star 
yeah, because I thought she was hilarious in this. And there's moments that feel like, I don't know, because this doesn't feel like they did a lot of takes and had a lot of time and, you know, really cared very much necessarily if, like, they got it all and they just figure it out. Like, it just felt like a big party and stuff. But there's moments in scenes, especially with Hanks, where, like, you could see each other sort of, like, almost egging each other on almost. Like, they felt like they had a lot of great chemistry and, like, we heard sort of, or I think I might have read or heard in a commentary and stuff like during splash and things like hanks was encouraged to improvise and like a lot of his suggestions were very well received and everyone thought that he you know had a great understanding of of the scenes and stuff like that so it just i don't know like i got a i got a good vibe from them together and i was like very surprised to learn that she just did not go on to become, like, a huge star. I wonder, I'm looking up now, I wonder what Tom Hanks's first directorial effort is. I think he did, like, uh, Tales from the Crypt. Or... So he, yeah, so he did 92 Tales from the Crypt, and then an episode of the TV show, A League of Their Own, then an episode of Fallen Angels, which we covered for Cinemakers, because Soderbergh did some of those, remember? Oh, that, like, noir thing from Showtime? Yes. That was, like, terrible? Yep. Whoa. And then he did Vault of Horror 1, which is a TV movie, a segment in there, and then... 96, That Thing You Do. He hasn't been in a lot of horror. I'd love to see him do, like, because he goes, he's in Green Mile, which is a Stephen King thing, but I he should have been in Pet Cemetery instead of John Lithgow. Like, I haven't seen the movie yet, but, like, I know John Lithgow's in it, but I would have loved to see Hanks, like, knowing what I know about Pet Cemetery, I would love to see Hanks, like, get real into, like, some gore horror <laughs> one day. Like, that would be crazy. Mike, any other notes about Bachelor Party before we play uh, the other game that we have and then nominate this for some awards? I was hoping that maybe one more person from Bosom Buddies would mm. show up, but no. no. Alas, not one. Larson, what about you? No, I think I've exhausted everything I have in my file on Bachelor Party. Ex- except to say that at my Bachelor Party, we will not be sitting around and watching porn together. Well, you don't know what we have planned, I can tell you that much. <laughs> if you want to walk on roll, Larson, into the movie Bachelor Party, if you want to Stan Lee yourself, the Stanio, Stan Lee cameo, where would you be in this movie? What would you be doing? Would you replace a character? Would you just be added to a scene? Who are you in the world of Bachelor Party? I feel like, in the history of us playing this game, Mike, there have never been this many options. There are so many different things you could be doing, because there's just, like, things happening everywhere. But Larson, who are you? What are you doing? Where would you be in this movie? I would be in the band. I know it was like an all-girl rockabilly band, but I would love to be in one of these chaotic 80s house party moments. I would love to be, like, the singer of the band. Love it. Failing that, just a guy who shows up with a pizza or a surfboard or a boombox or a or a keg of beer, you know. But yeah, I'd love to be rocking out with the band at this epic party. Love it. That reminded me of how, uh, like, in Back to School, Oingo Boingo shows up, like, at a party and just starts playing. And then I saw on the soundtrack, Oingo Boingo does the Bachelor Party theme yeah. in oh, yeah. this movie. Like, it's craziness. Mike, what about you? Where would you be? What character would you be in Bachelor Party? This was kind of a tough one. I couldn't really think of anything great. So I think I want to be the... Okay, you know, like at the end in the 3D movie where, like, the the ladies, like, I've seen better. Mm-hmm. And then, like, she gets punched in the face. I think I want to be that person. Okay. And, <laughs> like, punched in the face by Hanks and be like, wow, this 3D is amazing. Um, because, again, like, that sequence is just awesome. Just so cool. I would love to, anywhere in that sequence. 
I'm, I'm just I'm I'm glad that you found enjoyment in this movie because I did not. The problem is you got to make it all the way to the end to yeah. get there to get to that moment. So Especially it like difficult. rewards you. I think you know I'm gonna be the minister that marries them or whatever, just because you know it feels like it's the culmination. Like hey, I, I I'm here at the end. This is me. Here you go. Good luck. Mazel tov. There's so much wild stuff that I feel like you, you kind of need to have a moment that stands out a little bit more. I don't know. It's just... I think I'm overwhelmed. I'm, it's choice paradox here, really. There's so many different things that could that, that you could do. I don't know what I want to be. Oh, no, wait. No, I have an idea. I want to be the guy in the donkey suit. That's right. I want to be the guy in the donkey suit. <laughs> Which I, I, I'm, I'm looking right now, and he's outside smoking a cigarette while they uh, they pull up to the hotel. So, you know, it's, it's a thing that happens. But I want to be the guy in the donkey suit. Forget what I said before. Man in donkey suit. We have an email address here on the show run at cageclub.me if you want to let us know that wait, you're no, oh, no wait. wrong one no uh-uh. oh wait hanks <laughs> god damn i forgot what we were doing we have an email address on the show hanks at cageclub.me email in let us know what you think of the show what you're looking forward to the next movie you know that mike and i are doing is the man with one red shoe which we i've never heard of which we have no guest on because nobody wanted to sign up for it so mike and i will solo below that so if you're looking forward to that if you want us to read an email on that show email hanks at cageclub.me we also have a patreon account patreon.com slash cage club if you want to support us in what we do or pick what you want us to watch whether it's an entire podcast or a single movie patreon.com slash cage club you can also get some merch over there so go do that thing very important question for both of you and i think the answer is yes and i have one specific reason why does tom hanks in this movie do anything that puts him on the road toward being america's dad Yes. Well, sure. I mean, he's going to be a loving husband. He's faithful to his wife. He's the moral center of the film. That's very true. We are there. This is, for me, the moment that it all starts. <laughs> this is the moment. This is the transition. It had to be in this movie, unfortunately, but like Larson said, you know, he's got married. He's going to go be a husband. Or they're probably going to have some beautiful, hilarious kids, and all will be right. There's a line, I don't remember, I wrote the line down. It's meant to be a joke because he's saying it to the, the friend who just wants to kill himself, but when he, sa- he says something like sort of caring and loving and like, well, you just take care of yourself. And it's just like this one little thing where it's just, you know, he is, like you're saying, Larson, the, the moral center of this movie, but he like, in that moment, is like very present and just like, he's very present and just says, we're going to go, but I need you to take care of yourself. And obviously the guy does not listen to him because he tries to drown himself in the bathtub, but I was like, oh, there we go. There's America's dad. That's what I wrote down. I was like, yeah, this is it. So I'm going to say a firm yes. All right, the last thing we have to do on the show, Mike, awards. Best film, worst film. Is it worst film? I know you want to say worst film. I'm not going to say best film by any means. We could put it on the list for now, for sure. I think there's going to be worse. Like, maybe not in terms of being offensively bad, but, like, I just think, you know, as far as movies go, sure. they're going to be bad. But yes. Best role, worst role? I don't think it's either of those. I think this is, again, sort of down the middle. Agreed. Not most wasted performance. I think he's he's used appropriately here. It's just sort of boring. Best ensemble? I feel like we don't really know the guys. Like, they're caricatures. You can't really stack it up to Bosom Buddies because they all just have their one thing. You know, like Larson was saying before, and that's that's all they are. Yeah, and much like losing it... <laughs> They're all pretty awful, too. Yeah, very true. They're better than... I think they're a little better than losing it, but not not by much at all. I mean, they want to see a woman have sex with a donkey, so, uh, you know, they're at least on the same level. They're, they're about the same. There is, there is no character in this movie that I like as much as the younger brother in losing it, though. 
true. Best fight? Does, does Tom Hanks fight anyone, physically fight anybody in this movie? Oh, dude, the 3D fight. Definitely best fight. Oh, the 3D fight. Yep, it's true. 3D fight in Bachelor Party. Best dance scene. There's a couple dance scenes. I was looking for the gif online of him, you know, shaking around on the couch. I couldn't find that, but I could find him jumping up and, like, doing the, the 60s, like, like, dance, and he's, like, flexing and what stuff. What is that, like, the mashed potato yeah. or something? Yeah. Doing the mashed potato <laughs> in Bachelor Party. Best outfit wardrobe? I don't think so. I think it's he's kind of just in that blue shirt for most of the movie. Yeah, nothing really interesting going on. Well, like, yeah, he doesn't have a good wardrobe, but, like, there's some crazy 80s clothing going on. Like, Tony Katane's friend from work shows up at her bridal shower wearing like this like insane evening gown i think that like mona may might blush if she ever saw that one like it was uh, there's some good stuff there but not hanks's uh best line there's a line so there's two lines i want to make note of one he does not say the one that i want to say that i point out is that uh debbie's mom says strange wang right in my hand where she's like still like has ptsd from like holding (laughs) that guy's uh you know thing in her hand ptsd (laughs) yes the p stands for penis the line i want to write down (laughs) is it was my favorite moment where debbie shows up and as the hooker and is trying to like trick hanks into having sex with like a stranger and like is gonna dump him because of it or whatever and he he makes a joke about a seeing eye hooker i like that but what i love and i think it's just partly his delivery is that after she turns the light on like when he like flops around on top of her like really animatedly and she turns the light disgusted and he just says debbie you're a hooker i can't believe it and i just thought that that delivery was so him and so good and I want to nominate that because I think that was one of the funnier little character moments in this movie. I'm not going to nominate this line, but it's, again, I said it earlier and it's one of my favorites and I just have to reiterate that uh, I want some wine. I don't know why that gets me every time. I don't know. Is there a freak out of his in this movie? I feel like everybody else is freaking out, but I, I think he's sort of the calm one. That soundtrack slash theme. Yeah, I mean, like like a lot of movies from this time, it does have a titular theme song. All right, I'll, I'll put it in there for now because all we have so far is bosom buddies. Uh, so I'll put I'll put bachelor party in there. Wait, what about that love theme from Splash that like sounded like two people drowning? No, because I think list. I was because I was disappointed by that because I thought it was gonna have a a movie full of a, a great soundtrack, but it or Wooly Bully. <laughs> I forget Cruz has the has the uh, Spotify playlist really popping off over there. Movies from this era also are known for their kind of melancholy love themes also. The one that comes to mind is from uh, Mazes and Monsters. Very memorable, too. Yeah. Yeah. Pardew. Speaking of, he says in this movie, the Twin Towers or something like, oh no, he goes, uh, that's almost as, as impressive as the Twin Towers or something, or the World Trade Center. No, he wrote it because he, he was saying something, he's like, that's, a, you know, I was impressed when they built the Twin Towers or whatever. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking of Pardew standing on top of the Twin Towers, you know, looking for the eye of Sauron or whatever out there. I thought you were going to say, like, speaking of Mazes and Monsters, remember the scene where they all play Dungeons and Dragons? Then, <laughs> then I remembered that's probably something that would happen at my bachelor party, not this bachelor party. Very possible. Best love story, worst love story, I think it's kind of both, which I think is, you know, I think that they're, they're genuinely in love with each other, but, you know, I, I don't know. Like, she spends so much of the movie trying to get back at him. It's not so much about that, right? Like, they're in love, they're great together and stuff, but the movie isn't about, like, they're, it's about... About the bachelor party you know if it was them on the road like that would be some movie imagine those two these two characters if there was a sequel to bachelor party well there is 
Well, I mean, okay, but imagine <laughs> if this was the sequel to Bachelor Party. You know, she's pregnant, and it's, like, their adorable sort of nine months, and then it ends with, like, the baby or whatever. But, like, how great. I would just love to see uh, these two people become parents. Like a uh, John Travolta curse the alley situation? Again, Amy Heckerling. Hey. The last thing I have on the list, either good or bad, best or worst non-Hanks role, male or female. I'm going to say no. It's just, it's all, they're all fine. I don't know that anybody in this movie I'm going to remember down the line for being so good or so bad in their role, I don't think. Or do we want do we want to nominate Tony Kane? but I feel like she's not in it enough. I was just going to say, you know, she had more screen time. Uh, she does great with what she's done, but then there's also, like, her whole crew, too, that takes a lot of attention away from her. I mean, they're great as well, but not as much time as the guys. I think, on average, the women are better. Like, the, the, women, the women ensemble cast, that group, I think, is more interesting than the men. There's just not enough of them in the movie. Anything else about this movie, good or bad, that we want to nominate? Or are we good nominate, keeping it where we are, which is... Five things. Worst film, best fight, best dance scene, best line, and best soundtrack slash theme. Anything else we want to pay attention to? Do we want to have a best party scene? Are we going to have a lot more parties? I don't know. I mean, if you want to put it down, we can start trying to keep track of that, see if that pops up. I, I can't recall. I'm trying to think, like, if we want to do... Because did, did Hank... Oh, no, it wasn't Hank's that sang. I was going to say, if Hank's got grabbed the mic and started singing, we could keep track of uh, Tom's that sing. Well, he croons a little bit while he's cooking. Oh, that's, yeah, he does. He croons, you're right. Because I know, I mean, you know, in Top Gun, we get a little bit of singing. Uh, I know that's the well, other that's, Tom. that's the other Tom, though. I know, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, that's something we could see if that crosses over yeah we'll think about that we'll keep we'll keep that in mind there's no real party scene in splash i don't think or family ties or mazes and monsters or nothing really stands out for me from bosom buddies and he knows you're alone so if we want to nominate best party scene i'll I'll make a note of it and we'll just we'll go from there and maybe we'll get rid of it eventually so who knows the bachelor party in bachelor party cool well larson thank you so much for joining us here you'll be back in a couple of episodes for the money pit Episode 10 of this show, you'll be back for The Money Pit, so we're looking forward to having you there. It's kind of funny because my bachelor party is coming up, and I'm on here to do bachelor party. The Money Pit is all about marriage, and by the time we record that, I will probably be a married man. Get excited. It's going to come out the day before your wedding, so at your reception, you can just play the MP3 of The Money Pit. Yes. The first hour of my wedding reception is just going to be everyone sitting in silence listening to Hanks for the memory. Well, doubled over in laughter because it's going to be so entertaining. I can tell you that oh, much. Of course. But thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, if you want to go check out Larson's other episode, he was just on Losing It. For the other Tom Tom Club, for Cruise Club, he was on our Mandy episode for Cage Club. He's got 10 episodes of Monkey Club in the, uh, the Cage Club vault. So go check those out with him and uh, Chris Podcasts. But for all things... Hanks for the Memories, and Cruise Club, and all Tom Tom Club. You can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash cageclub. Kick us a couple bucks. Pick what we watch. In two weeks, we'll be back for The Man with One Red Shoe. So let's guess. I had guessed, Mike, for this movie that it was going to be the bachelor party from He Knows You're Alone, which I don't think it actually... I don't. I feel like we don't know what that bachelor party was. I don't think it was this. I think this is a different... I think I was wrong. I'll admit when I was wrong, I think I was wrong. The Man with One Red Shoe, I think two different things possibility. Number one, it's just a guy who loves the Red Shoe Diaries starring... <laughs> David Duchovny. 
<laughs> which I don't think is out at that point, but that's number one. Or number two, there, and I, I straight up have no idea what it's about. I think it could be a fantasy movie in which he gets one of Dorothy's red slippers and has to find the other one, and that's going to be his soulmate. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I saw it once, like, a couple years ago. I can't remember a damn thing about it, so I'm going to guess as well. Okay. And I think it's about a guy who loses one of his red shoes and he's left (laughs) with the other one. But, like, there's something important about the one he lost. Like, if he doesn't find it... There's, like, going to be a big... There's, like, big problems. Like, maybe something's hidden in it, or, like, it belonged to somebody... Something revolving around the lost red shoe. Huh. Okay. I like that. It's like, I never watched it, almost. But I know I watched it, because I logged it, but, like, no memory. Your movie is basically sort of the, the what he's using Instagram for now, when he finds things. Oh, shit. Right? That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Very strange. We'll find out in two weeks, but next week... If you're following along Tom Tom Club, it's going to be Top Gun over on Cruise Club, so make sure you check that out because I'm very, very excited to watch and talk about that movie. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manson. And that was Christian Larson, formerly of the Monkey Club podcast. And we'll see you in two weeks for the man with one red shoe right here on Hanks for the Memory. You're a hooker. I don't believe it.